Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring the legendary children's singer and songwriter, Fred Penner. <laughs> Mr. Penner, I, I usually open all my interviews with the same question. Uh, well, first off, before we start, I'm not sure how much information Eric gave you about the topic of discussion I wanted to talk about. Uh, he, he, he may have, and at this moment, I have no idea. Okay, so the topic of conversation is uh, we're doing a week-long series for the show about shows that shaped Canadian childhood. So as you being one of the most uh, the most Canadian enter- child entertainers across Canada, we thought we'd talk to you about Fred Penner's place and what you're doing now. So if that's okay. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes, I, I do remember now. Okay, awesome. So, uh, Mr. Penner, I, I've got to ask the first question. Where did you get your uh, sense to entertain from? Let me just park this thing there. Can you see me all right? Or, or I, I can hear you okay, but I can't see you. Okay, fine. We're in audio. Good. Um, what inspired me to get to this point? <laughs> what, what inspired you to entertain people? Uh, oh, golly. Well, <laughs> uh, it was sort of, an, well, obviously an evolution of, of time here. My, um, I, I grew up with, with lots of different music around me. I, I had a good musical ear. Uh, I, I, could, I could sing at a very young age. I could sort of make up little, little songs and stories at a young age. Uh, and I was always learning new, new songs from the swing and the classical music that my parents listened to. And then my older brother and sister, they were into the, the rock and the, uh, the, the early, early boy bands of the 50s. And then the folk scene came along and I, I went crazy on that one. So I've, I've always absorbed whatever kinds of sounds and music that were, you know, in, in my purview. And, um, but I, I had never really intended on becoming a, uh, a professional performer. Nobody told me that that was an option, which is an interesting concept. Uh, even though I, I could sing well, I, I played guitar since I was 15 I was the guy in the back of the ski bus, you know, playing the songs, you know, as you're as you're on the way to the slopes, you know. So I, I it was always extracurricular stuff that I would that I would make music with, and then uh, I went to university and got a BA in economics, essentially to satisfy my father's desire for one of his kids to, you know, to go to university. Which is, I, I mean, I, I was a doting son, so that, that was that was a good thing. But the and I was not a good student, so I, uh, the only BA that I could get a job with was economics. You know, a, anything else in the arts world, because I wasn't a science guy, but anything else in the arts world would require at least a master's or a PhD, and I knew that wasn't going to be my trip. So I got my BA in economics. I was I was going to be a, a a civil servant with the Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation. <laughs> Stay with me on this. I'm trying. <laughs> and then in the early, uh, the early seventies, I, I had a sister who was born with Down syndrome, and uh, and she uh, she had a, a serious heart murmur, heart condition, 
And so we knew she wouldn't live <clears throat> much past puberty, which is exactly what happened. So when she was 12 years old, she died. And my father died a year later. So I was faced with these two ultimate mortality checks that I, that I, that devastated me, obviously, but, but brought me to the point of realizing that I did not want to be an economist, but having no other skills other than some musical ability, I thought, well, let's, let's see where this will go. Is my bliss on this path? And so I started playing lounges and bars and universities and, you know, any kind of gig, coffee houses, any kind of gig that I could find in, in the 70s. And I, and I toured with, with a couple of bands in that time across Canada. And ultimately, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this musical journey led me to, uh, to work with my then wife, where we're now, we've now divorced about 10 years ago. But uh, my, my ex-wife was a uh, modern dance choreographer and creator. And we did a children's dance theater company called Sundance. And we would do shows for children in the, in the school system, in public performances. And that sort of established my, because I was not doing family or children's entertainment prior to that. I was doing serious radio and, and um, t television drama and uh, musical comedy. I, I was exploring every possible direction for a performer. And then working with, with my ex-wife, that sort of focused me into the children's world for a bit. And I wrote music for these performances. And then the, the godsend was from one of these performances, I received an offer from a patron to, <clears throat> to do my first record. And basically, you know, they, this couple came up to me and they, they liked my voice, the music that I was doing in these shows. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then they, they, uh, they basically gave me a blank check to do this record, which ultimately was The Cat Came Back. And now and, that that record that you did produce, did you expect it to go? Did you expect it to make a, such a massive impact as it did? Because that record has spawned a lifetime career for you into being a sort of Canadian legend, if you don't mind me saying, in children's entertainment. When people look at Canadian entertainers, children entertainers, they look and they try to... Uh, reflect what you were able to do with uh, children's music and children's entertainment. So when you created that first album, did you expect it to be as big as it was? Uh, no, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think any, <clears throat> I don't think any performer ever, ever has an expectation of what their, their product is going to do. Uh, I mean, for, for me, I, I, this was my first experience in a studio uh, I, you know, I brought in some friends. We we did it with as much integrity as possible. That was the that was the key. Uh, I and I brought in songs from my from my childhood, songs that were never really considered to be children's music, but I I remembered them from my childhood. So I thought, well, that's that's worthy to bring forward. Things like Ghost Riders in the Sky, you know, that was just an old country classic. But I thought, oh, that's that's an exciting song to both sing and listen to. So I, I selected, you know, my, my batch of tunes, some original and, and some covers. And, uh, and, and we did it with, with, with fun and with energy. And, and very, very quickly after that, it, uh, 
people came forward and said, this is, this is a lovely album. You know, we, we really enjoy listening to it with our family. And these stories started coming in. So I realized it was gaining momentum. And, and uh, I was able to sell enough albums in the first six months to pay back the benefactor $8,000 for which was the cost of making the album. You know, so it, it opened, it opened up this, this beautiful channel for me. And because that time in, in Canada, well, all over North America, because it was the baby boomers who were demanding quality uh, entertainment for their kids. Uh, so once I realized that was happening, I, I dove in full tilt and I worked with Rafi for a number of years and I toured across the country. And then, then that, that part that career was established solidly in about a five year period. So over those five year period, when you were touring, what, what were you thinking during those times? Were you thinking, you know what, I'm making an impact on the children's life that I want. And when I, set up to create this album that's what i wanted to do was make an impact and let people have quality music to actually listen to with their children yes that i mean that was the motivation was to do to do this as as uh non-condescendingly as uh, as as possible because that's that's a critical thing for me is is when you're talking to a child just just talk just Use use full sentences, use full words, so that they can hear what what that sounds like. You know, as opposed to going into a uh, a different tone of voice and uh, and 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 patronizing the child. So I, you know, the, the the quality was the quality was important. Non patronizing was important. Um, bringing this to the audience to the best of my ability in, in live performance was it was important but whether or not the audience actually did get into it uh in a way that that and in, in my i have remarried in, in the last eight years and my wife now has when we've discussed this she said that part of it is none of your business whether you actually make an impact on the lives of the people that you're performing for whether it actually happens or not is none of your business. You you can hope that it'll happen, but you, it's it's that expectation that it'll go that far that could be destructive. So you 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 bring for me. I brought my my A game, the best I could possibly do, into you know to every album I've ever done, and then you put it out, and then you have to release it. You have to put it in the world, and if the audience. If the audience buys in, if they if they enjoy the music and if they pass it on to somebody else, then then that's the bonus. But um, but but I don't I don't feel that a performer can make that the uh, requirement of an album. I'm going to make an album that is going to change the world. Every child is going to listen to it, and they're going to feel like like the the this is the best thing ever since sliced bread, you know, and and then that's that's I think that's egotistical, and uh, and can do a disservice to yourself along the way. 
you know, that. that. Yeah, no, I did, and I, I appreciate that. And I, I, there's a follow-up question that you said destructive, and I just want to clarify what you mean by that. When uh, you release something and you hope people like it or not, it can be destructive if the artist is thinking that. Why do you say that? Um, well, the, the, the destructive part is being a performer is an illusion. You're... I'm, I'm, I am a, a man, I'm a senior now, 73 years old. I, I, uh, I've, I've had two wives in my, in, my, in my time. I have four children, I have five grandkids. I have, that, that's my life, that's the, de- the definition of my life. I've had a career that spanned 45 years. I've been on stage, I can do that in a blink. You know, give me a guitar or not a guitar. I can get on stage and I can entertain people. When I step off the stage, there's no audience there. When I step off a stage, then I am just Fred Penner. I'm just back to to being the man, basically. So the destructive part comes in if I assume that who I am on stage, making all these beautiful differences in the lives of, of so many people and, and affecting change and, and getting into that attitude that what I'm doing is making a massive impact and difference in the lives, then, then that's, where the, that's where the ego crosses the line. So I, I, I hope that people enjoy the music. I hope that they pass it on if they like it. I hope they find songs that resonate with them, uh, but I that cannot be an, an absolute expectation because if I get trapped in that that in that world of being of being this awesome this awesome performer and, and that defines my existence, then I lose myself in it somehow. Does that make any sense? It does, and you, you've sparked a whole new conversation line, and we'll get into the main topic of the conversation here soon. But I find that when you we were talking about that, you you were sort of correlating the world of today with your own story because today we find uh, children, teenagers, adults, even uh, older uh, older than my generation, who are always on social media trying to get the new follower trying to get the new like and you you're becoming an ego uh, you're becoming egotistical when you're posting photos of yourself all the time so you were able to divide yourself and be fred penner the artist and fred penner the uh husband and father right i i tried to do that you know i didn't always succeed um because the the level of they, they when when I when I finally well actually from from the beginning of my my performing time I I found that I did have an ability to make a, to to connect with an audience and the and the feedback that would come to me was was as it was in the beginning with the cat came back was I like your voice I want you to do an album okay well let me give this a try and and then I started getting on stage and performing and I I really enjoyed that it it filled me it gave me a sense of uh, of purpose of uh, of accomplishment 
and the accolades just started rising over the over the time you know where where, where people were very very complimentary and they they really liked my my energy my music i mean you know that that grew so it was difficult not to take that as um as a statement of of, of how how great i am you know so so that was where 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 i needed to pull myself back because I, I i i would be on the road i'd be i'd be doing these shows the people would go crazy i'd be selling a ton of merch then i'd get back home where where my 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 foundation is where where I, as soon as i get back after all these accolades i'm back picking up picking up eggs going to the store buying you know buying the groceries you know changing the kids diapers uh, you know I, I mean then i'd be back into my my real world and the performing world was way more fun you know be, because because i i could i could do that with such with such ease that was it was it was it's like when you get on stage everything else is gone you know i stand on stage i don't have to worry about a mortgage payment or 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 getting the car tires rotated or or spring tune up or any of that none of that happens on stage i'm on stage and i have one purpose i have to to get my 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 fingers my hands functioning on this guitar connecting it with my voice with my brain where where the songs are going to go next watching the audience playing basically so when i'm on stage i am playing to the best of my ability so when i step off stage and go into reality it's there's pressures of life that are happening that can uh, can can accelerate can throw you off balance can can cause anxiety can cause stress there's i there's no stress for me on stage so there there's the there's that there's that crossover is i think a, a lot of people see themselves as that performer on on the stage and and what they are doing and and in in creating that that is that that defines their life and if you know god forbid something happened that i couldn't do that i i would still be all right because i know what it is to not rely totally on that aspect of my life to for survival <laughs> we're going off on a tangent here no but it's an excellent tangent that's why i like about these uh, the interviews that i do is you learn a new found respect for someone that you've idolized for so long that mm. they are they go through the same struggles that you do right they go through well, the strange, exactly. same struggles totally so yeah we are all in this together and and whether you know whether you're i mean no, no matter what you do in life um we we all are in the same essential boat you know we we all have demands on our time that that usually hinge you know hinge around family or you know or, or personal challenges whatever that happens to be and um and trying to be as good a person as i possibly could be you know with without the music but just just being a a, a caring um focused adult you know is is uh is is the first step in in life and then you know then then whatever comes beyond that 
then then that's that's sort of the gravy. But 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 just learning to be a learning to be a good human being is uh, has always been my you know my my first requirement. And I think you've done that through your career and you've sort of instilled that upon uh, children while you've done your TV show, your albums, your uh, concerts that you've done uh, coast to coast is you've instilled upon that self-identity of the kids. It's, you know what, it's, it's good to enjoy yourself. It's good to not take things so serious all the time, but at the same time you have to take it serious at the end of the day. So Go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm listening. So, so my, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the interview. Not that that wasn't interesting to begin <laughs> with, and I was not expecting that. But in '85, CBC came knocking on on your door. So you mm-hmm. just released your first album in '79. Five years yeah. later, six years later, CBC comes knocking on your door and say, "Hey, we have a proposition for you to do a show aimed at kids." Yeah. How does that not make you go? Now my ego is inflated even more. <laughs> it's uh, it, I, I, I just looked at it as not from an egotistical point of view, but but truly as an opportunity. Because I I had initially I had no uh, intent. Well, eventually, but I, I had no plan to do a record in, in the beginning. Make the cat came back. We're, we're with Rafi's company. Suddenly, I, I have four four albums under my belt. You know, th- thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of albums sold over a five year period. CBC had been watching me in my performance. Had been listening to my music. They liked my energy, what I was doing. So that so they called and said, "You want to do uh, basically the replacement for the Friendly Giant." Because he he was ready, or they were ready to move him on. So for a while, I was called the the giant killer. Um, but I I got uh, they they asked if I wanted to do this, and I said, what What is this? What do you want me to do? You know, to do a series? How do I begin to even uh, conceptually? Where does it go? And they put the whole thing in my lap. They said. What would you like to do? What is your preference in oh. in in, 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 in a, which would never happen now? No, they, exactly. No, no. So they, they they put the whole thing in my lap. Said, "What do you want to do?" And I, as as I have done in in my in much of my career, is I go back to my my roots. I, I, I take my brain back to being a child. I talk, I think about the things that I remembered that had meaning to me, that, that were sensitive to me, that were important to me. And, and then I, I found a core of these things, which, which became the essence of the show. So I, I didn't want a series where, where it, was, it was an urban setting where you, you, know, you knock on a door and open and somebody comes in. I, I felt that life is a journey. I mean, you know, get, getting very, um, well, I'm not sure what the word is, esoteric. No, not, not that. But, uh, but I, I, I would look, I, I would think, I want, I want children, if they're going to be watching this, to realize that their lives are journeys. And, and there is so much to learn in, in a lifetime. So, so the beginning of a journey is, is 
going to to a place. So so the opening of Fred Penner's place was crossing a field, you know, following a fence. There are markers that are guiding me to the log. Uh, whether it's well, they, there's there's a certain type of rock that I like to balance on, uh, or, or there's uh, there's a stream where sometimes there's a a beaver or or birds flying, you know. So it's if you want to get to Fred Penner's place, this is the way you go. You cross this one, you turn here, you go over there, you uh, you you finally get to these branches and you lift them up, and lo and behold, there's a log, and you crawl into the log. And the branches come down, so you are, in fact, protected. So the the child who was virtually following me into Fred Penner's place is now in a, and this is the critical thing, is now in a safe environment. And in that environment, we can just again play. We we can, you know, I, I have friends who know the path, and they they come to share along the way, or sometimes it's just just me in the audience, and we are in, we, we have been given the opportunity to interact where I can sing songs and tell stories and, and do some crafts or whatever, whatever it is. We, we're in a, we're in that environment sharing something. Were you hesitant at first when you had that idea? Because CBC did give you the latitude to make your own show in some sense. Did you have hesitation where you're like, maybe this isn't going to work? Or was it, you know what, we're going to put together what we think is a good show that kids are going to want to watch. And then if they watch it, great. If they don't, we don't, it doesn't matter. As long as we connect with one or two children, that's all that matters. Basically, I, I was, I mean, I, I was pretty sure that, that it would come together because there were, there were many um people at CBC who would work with CBC kids who were seasoned writers. And, uh, and, and so when I presented, you know, my concept, they immediately just, just took it. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's add that. So the, the concept of the word bird, for instance, you know, that, that sort of a, a, that learning potential within it within a series was basically part of every children's series that's ever been done you know you 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 are teaching the children words so what's a good way to do that well let's have the word bird he'll drop down a you know a, a word i'll look at it i'll read it i'll hold it up so the spelling factor is there the definition of the word is there that might lead to a story uh you know so you you use that as a as a pivot point for other things, so the the educational quality of the series was immediately um, grasped by the by the other writers. They wanted things that were that were a little deeper that that had some some educational you know uh, direction for it, and um, so I I never feared that it wouldn't that it wouldn't happen. It was it was it was a process. It was a um, it was a again a journey that I that I was that I was on that was going to require a, a lot uh, a lot from me in a in a, in a certainly in a, a very deep creative manner and learning how to relate to an audience through you know through through a camera lens and there's a whole story around that that I uh, a little tangent that I'll share with you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 
but I, I, I didn't fear that the series would, would not go. I, I had trust in the people that were, uh, were guiding this process. Uh, I, I, I was given the opportunity to, to state what my needs were in, in the show. You know, that it, it wasn't about being silly. And, and, and some of the writers were, were, were trying to guide me into, in, into directions that I, that I found were, um, so, yes, we're silly. And the word silly be became a, a sort of a negative part and neg- negative word in my life because I'm, uh, because I am a man and because I am a father, because I am a responsible adult, when I interact with the, with the children, whether it's on stage or, or through television, it's, it still is that very direct, honest, communication and what do you think about this and hey come here i want to show you something it's just over here come here come here not it's just yeah that's right you know so so i'm i'm playing with the audience and and it's it's giving it's giving me a sense of 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 excitement and purpose and uh and for the audience apparently as well but the but the one of the elements that i was just going to you know allude to is when i got in front of the camera and I'm, I'm looking at this, this huge camera lens because those cameras were, you know, four feet long on big, you know, tripods rolling around the floor. When I looked at the, at the lens of that camera, it, it became really important to imagine that lens is the eye to one child, not two thousands of children, but the eyes to one child. So when I looked at the camera, I wasn't imagining thousands of children at the same time watching this. I was speaking to the camera as if the camera was one child. And that automatically changes the tone of a voice, you know, because there's an, there's an intimacy that you can do when you're, when you feel that you're speaking with one child. And it was, uh, it, it just gave me, um, it it, uh, it it was it was a point of focus. It was a, an important point of focus that, uh, that that maintained the the kind of integrity that I, I was I was bringing to the show, and it was the kind of focus that audiences uh, along the way would would when they would send me um, whatever you know accolade or email whatever they they would say you know I I, I love your energy I love the way that you. The, the gentleness that you bring to it, the, the way that you speak to to us, is is really important, you know, and uh, and that statement is is important to me, knowing that the audiences were relating to me, uh, the way that I would hope them to, hope that they would. Now, follow. yeah, I do. Now, Fred Prentice Place was on the air for twelve years which is an impressive run no matter what you what someone would say 12 mm-hmm. years for a children's show especially starting in the 80s and ending in the 90s it is an impressive run um and now i know that y- your decision was not to cancel it it was the uh cbc's decision yeah. uh would you have continued on would you how long would you have gone doing fred Benner's oh, place or was forever. there a was, really <laughs> so you would you would still be doing it if cbc I, would ha- let you absolutely i i loved um, I love doing it. 
I love the, you know, the, the, again, the opportunity to do that was so very uh, engaging. My, uh, the requirement on my creativity was, was massive. I mean, as, as the, as the series grew, I would write more and more songs for the show. And, uh, and I, I had a little, a little game that I would play with the writers where, where they would, they would have a list of, you know, of, of the songs that we had used on the series before. And, you know, and they would, they would pull out certain ones that were, were good openers. I always had the same closing tune that I wrote to take good care of each other just to, because the perfect wrap up to a, to a day, but I would have, um, uh, I'd, I'd be writing songs to task for the specific script. So when, when the writers are, are playing with the script, they would, they would come to a point in, in, in the story, whatever it was, where they may not have the perfect song that would fit. So I, I would say to them, if you, when you hit that, that moment, write down Penner original two minutes and, and, and then send me the script. Oh, wow. and, then, and then I would write because I would write, I would know where the story was going. I would know the flow of the whole show, you know, whether I have a guest, whether it's about whatever it happened to be, I would know what led up to that gap in the script and I would know where it was going after. So basically the, the toughest part of writing a song is what am I going to write about? Well, that's already defined because I know what's, what's coming and where it's going. So I, I could write songs in, in a blink. Sometimes I'd be writing tunes as I was, as I was driving to the studio. You know, I, I'd have my little mini recorder and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come to a, to a stop, stop sign and I, you know, I press the record button and I'd, and I'd sing a line or a lyric that had popped into my mind. And then I would get to the studio. I'd, you know, I'd review that. We'd go into the, into the music room where the band is waiting, three, three other musicians. And, uh, and, and we would play and score it. And then I'd go into makeup and, uh, and a couple of hours later, we'd be on the floor singing that song that I'd just written. You know, so it was that kind of really fabulous creative process that I would, I would still be doing now, as I said. Pretty, pretty cool, actually. Wow. Now, uh, before we wrap up here, I, I have to ask the question, and, uh, <laughs> and it's going to be one of those weird questions that I'm probably going to regret asking, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Fred Penner, you are now a lexicon of Canadian culture. People will look back forever and think Fred Penner is children's entertainment 101 when it comes to Canadian <laughs> culture. How does that feel? How do you feel about being so well-known across the country, generations, decades of people knowing who you are? Can you imagine a time or a better feeling than, and I know you're going to be talking about the ego here, but a mm. better feeling <laughs> than knowing that your music your time in the spotlight has influenced, has changed so many people's lives. Um, yeah, I think, I think that is a truth. You know, it's, uh, I, again, I base all of that on, on, uh, on the feedback that continues to come to me on a, on a regular basis. I, uh, I, I am, 
Um, I'm humbled that people feel that strongly about me. Um, I received the Order of Canada and the Order of Manitoba along <clears throat> along the way for for my <clears throat> for my work. Um, it is an absolutely incredible sensation to know that that, that people feel that strongly. Uh, about about what I've what I've done and and, and specific songs is yes, that's where I really get excited knowing that I've I've gone to my creative process I've gone through my vulnerability I've created something that is out there in the world and people are listening to it and it is making that difference in their lives the uh, the, the mantra and I'm sure you've read this in some of the articles that that I hold with me is never underestimate your ability to make a difference in the life of a child and that's that's the key to the whole thing is i i believe in myself i believe in my ability to to create i am honored that people feel that creativity has made a difference in their lives but i i still have that that balance of of not getting over overblown in the in the ego department that that it that, that that's the only thing that that defines my life and it and it certainly is a huge i mean i've done this for 45 years you know since the early 70s this is all i've done in my in my existence how 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 could that have happened you know i i um I mean, I'm I am overwhelmed that I've been able that that I've had. Well, what's the what's the phrase? If you find a job you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Yep. You know, and I I feel that I'm I have been blessed. You know, and, and there is a spiritual uh, quality to that statement. I I I feel uh, so honored to have have been allowed to be part of this process because. The other little mantra that I carry is there, but for the grace of God. I mean, who who knew that any of this would happen? Uh, it was never a plan, but suddenly this tangent happens, and 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 these deaths happen that that caused me to go this direction, and and that happens with people all the time in life. You know, something will will turn the corner, and you're suddenly confronted with a decision. Of that, that is monumental. That will change your life, and uh, and here it is. I've uh, I've survived this far. Uh, I I still have next year. You know, after after COVID is is done, I I've got a, a load of touring all across the country. You know, at seventy four years old, I'll be I'll be burning the trail yet again, and uh, and and it's. Uh, it's bizarre that, that I that I can still be doing this at this point in my life. Um, I can tell you that uh, you influenced my childhood. I remember numerous times sitting around the TV with my brother uh, watching oh. Fred Penner's Place and Mr. Dressups yeah. and Sharon Lois and Bram. So you, yeah. the, the the CBC was a staple in our household. So where were you think, raised? Newcastle, Ontario. Oh, okay. Yeah, yep. so uh, Oshawa area, if you know Ontario. Yeah, I, I do indeed. I know every province very, very well. <laughs> well, I actually just met you uh, last year, surprisingly, okay. uh, up Where? in Slave Lake, Alberta. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was as I you came up. Town. I thought, oh, you you look familiar. Yeah. Right. Well, fabulous. That's great. Well, well, thank you very much, Mr. Pennock, for doing this. Greatly appreciated. And have yourself an excellent rest of your Monday, July 6th. Yeah, you had to check that, did you? <laughs> well, I did. This, this COVID has completely changed the game of knowing what day it is. It really, it really has, hasn't it? It's so bizarre. It anyway, I delight speaking with you. Thank you so much. Good, yes. good luck with deciphering all that. Oh, I will. Greatly appreciate it, okay. Mr. Penner. Have yourself an excellent Be well. day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for our next episode of the cross-border interview podcast once again thank you and see you next week Bye-bye.